Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Brooklyn-based artist Francois Francois Dessus. Born in Haiti, his work is a chronological journey from his childhood into a new urban community as an immigrant. He has always been more interested in exploring themes and issues than in making definitive statements or creating a visual language with his art. His work resonates with political and sociological content. Franck's work incorporates many of the influences and aesthetic forms of artists like Norman Lewis and Howard Dean Pendel and resonates some of the artistic strains of his native Haiti. His style combines figurative, abstract, and layered elements and relies heavily on a simplification of form and function. The work is characterized by a semiotic economy, minimalist use of imagery, and a deliberately limited palette range within a series of work. Franks has been in several solo and group exhibitions that include the Brooklyn Museum and the Museum of Contemporary African Diaspora Arts, also in Brooklyn. The works of Franks has entered numerous private and public collections, which include the permanent collection of the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture and Xavier University. The works of Franks has entered numerous private and public collections, which include the permanent collection of the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture and Xavier University. He has also been featured in publications such as the International Review of African American Art and The Village Voice. Please enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring Franks Francois Desus. Franks, thank you so much for joining me today on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Um, thanks for having me. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> we have lots to talk about. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Share with us, when in your life did you recognize or realize your artistic passion? Um, well, I think it's a cross between artistic passion and artistic abilities. Um, and I've artistic ability is something that I can trace back well into my childhood. Probably one of my earliest childhood memories was my ability to write very fluid letters and script um, compared to my siblings who were struggling to do the same thing. Um, so I've always had this ability to kind of have an idea and then recreate it on paper. And if I could look at a face and we created on paper. Though it wasn't very good, but still I was doing stuff that was older kids couldn't even couldn't do. So 
There was definitely something there very early on that drew me to it, that drew me uh, to art and 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 just creating and doodling. Um, I remember doing things like Star Trek, ship, the <laughs> Starship Enterprise, and creating little scenes and all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's something that has always been there in terms of interest and chronologically moved forward to the point where I was old enough to kind of really now apply ability and process and conceptualization. Um, and then I think later on is when I can actually start to try to claim the title of artist um, because it is a very big title, even though it's just a, a small word, artist is a three-letter word, but still <laughs> the title of artist is like, something that you kind of can't just, at least the way I view it, um, it's not something you can just claim. You kind of have to develop into it. And so, so that took much longer, much, much longer. And realizing that this was a title you had to deserve, mm-hmm. did you put pressure on yourself in the early stages? Um, no, because a lot of it is so much, it's still fun. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. Uh, in my particular case, um, it was something I did for fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really, I've, I guess to be full, full disclosure, I think I've been very fortunate. Um, I've always managed to somehow find the time to create. And I think if I put any pressure, it was on that, um, to find the time or to make the time because creativity requires a certain level of reflection and meditation. And without that, at least for my process, I really have to think about um, what I'm trying to say and how I'm going to say it. And, you know, it's been a very um, long journey, but still a very fruitful journey in the sense that um, I've always had the time. Somehow I've had the ability to to get into a space or get into a studio and pretty much let the rest take care of itself. Um, because at the end of the day, if there's no work, then there's really nothing to talk about. And so if there was, if there's ever been any pressure or self-applied pressure, it's always been on, you know, something to show for the day. Um, even if it's just a doodle or a sketch <laughs> or, or just jotting down some ideas or some notes because I'm, I came up with a whole new way. I like to try to explore an, an image or a subject. And so before I forget it or before I forget the feeling, because that's another part of it too, is that inspiration doesn't always come. And then when it comes, it doesn't always stay. And so getting to that inspiration in a time when I can still use it um, has been a big blessing in my process because um, I've somehow managed to find the time to create, find the time to produce um, in terms of everything else. And it's, it's usually what I tell young artists whenever people come to me for advice or guidance. Uh, one of the things I usually say to them is, you know, focus on making the time, stick with it long enough, something will give, so to say, um, because you don't necessarily need to know where you're going long as you're in the process of creating and developing and creating and developing and discovering. Um, and then that stuff could kind of start to fall into focus. 
um, because you can't really see the future. I mean, as much as you know, anyone would like to be able to do that. Um, you could only forecast or plan for the future, but you can't really see it. And and so the only thing you can actually do is focus on creating and producing, and then the rest kind of take care of itself. Can you say that your inspiration is driven by your memories? Um, I think my inspiration is driven, I guess, in two ways. Um, one is more of an outward, and one is more of an inward. Outward in the sense of experiences from other people and life and observation, and then inward in terms of my personal experiences, my personal um, challenges and triumphs. Um, and because a lot of my work is very autobiographical, at least at this stage of my creative process. In the beginning, not so much so because I was still finding my way, so to say, in terms of that voice everyone talks about. Um, I'm, I feel that I'm finally at the point where I have a pretty good idea what that voice is in terms of the way I see my work and the way I envision my work. <laughs> have you been influenced by other artists or sculptures? Um, well, in terms of influence by other artists, there's a pretty um, sizable list of artists that I've come into contact with um, via just their work or stuff that I read or articles or I've met them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because there's certain elements in certain works that I see that really kind of resonate with me and what I'm trying to say. And, and I kind of like how they did that and I admire their approach. Um, so I, I like Norman Lewis, uh, because, you know, something about that freedom of expression that's in his work. Howard Dean and Pendel is someone I will, I look at it in terms of the stippling, um, you will see a lot of dots in my work. Um, and, but uh, my own, my own take on it, um, more recently, I would I would say people like Tiasta Gates because he also has a series of work dealing with the fire hose, and my current work has this element of the fire hose in it. Um, but early on, in terms of finding my way, um, I think now that you mentioned well, uh, you did mention, but Carrie James Marshall is someone who's kind of a household name now, at, at least among art enthusiasts, but um, in 1998, around that time, Terry James Marshall had a show at the Brooklyn Museum called Mementos, and I, to this day, I remember seeing these giant um, stamps, stamp pads he made, like rubber stamps. They were like almost life-size and with various inscriptions in them and these mural-sized paintings. Um, and to walk into the Brooklyn Museum, you know, at that age, at that time, um, to see a whole wing dedicated to this artist. To be honest, I didn't even know Carrie James Marshall was black until I started looking into the work and, and looking at some of the writings, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, nowadays, it sounds odd to say or hear something like that, but at that time, um, it was very instrumental and pivotal in terms of a shift in how I look at art making and, I, and, and the editing in his work in terms of 
it didn't need to be so literal. And, and that was the takeaway. And prior to that point, I felt that my work had a strong literal dependency on it. And that I felt like I had to say every word in the story to tell the story. Whereas now you don't necessarily need to say every word in the story. You kind of just go with the highlights of it and the important parts. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but um, he's one of the people, um, among others, um, something about witnessing their process, um, something about learning of their existence kind of really served as motivation and inspiration. Um, uh, David Hammond is uh, someone around that time. I remember he was working on some totem poles at um, Cadman Plaza downtown in Brooklyn. And I didn't even know who David Hammond was. And I didn't even know what he was doing. And he was nailing uh, bottle caps onto a, a long piece of fallen tree or a, a, a pole that you would use for installing power lines or something like that. And he was nailing bottle caps on it <laughs> and creating a totem pole. And so, and, and it, something just clicked, you know, and not that I was going to go and make that kind of work, but it gave me a, a, a vigor and an interest that prior to I didn't have. And so, um, there's something to be said for people that's just doing their work and, and as an artist, you can admire it and feed from it and learn from it and, and, and learn to kind of incorporate it into your own motivation and process. As you speak, I sense that you get excited about art. <laughs> and and yeah. with that, do you get excited when you do have an idea and you have a chance to sit down and... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think the excitement is the reason that I do it. Um, and when it all comes together, um, or when you're struggling with an idea or struggling with a series of work, and then you have that moment, that breakthrough moment where you realize a different application or a different approach. And there's these subtle things that most people probably won't even keyed in on or be aware of that triggers this whole kind of like, you know, wave of creativity and wave of like energy and, and drive to kind of see it through. And, and um, that excitement is, I can't speak for anyone else, but, I, if you took that out of the equation, I don't know if I would still do it. Um, I think I would just be a robot if if I would, I would be on an assembly line, just, you know, red, green, blue, <laughs> red. You know, it would just it would just kill it. And um, so for me, it's definitely that kid still playing, and especially when you, like, prepping the canvas and layering materials and getting your clothes dirty. Um, it's like this kid that's still playing and they still love playing with paint and finger painting and all those kind of connectivity and, and, and childhood memories just, you know, resurface and, and, and refuel. Um, and so, yeah, um, you know, again, I can't sing for everyone, but most artists I know are typically pretty excited when they just make that moment or that breakthrough moment where they, you know, the idea and image come together and it's like, wow, you know, that just happened. You know, you have this moment of still, it's like, wow, you know, 
Um, it doesn't always happen, you know, and it doesn't happen with every piece, but um, typically for me, when I start a new series, it's, it's kind of like how it starts. Um, pushing myself, pushing myself, pushing myself, pushing my aesthetic boundaries. And because your aesthetic is a big part of your art in terms of, all right, can I accept this as my art? And so <laughs> finding ways to accept new aesthetics is, is probably one of the biggest hurdles I had to travel as an artist um, because I was so set in my ways. And once I let those go, then I started making the leaps and the bounds and to what my work is, what it is today. Do you ever think about your audience when you're creating? Um, I think about my audience maybe 25% of the time. Um, but uh, I, I don't really, because my audience is, some people say their audience haven't even been born yet, you know. Um, I don't want to say anything like that. Um, but in some cases, that is true. Um, because I'm so busy and and entrenched in the process that um, that's not the primary motive. The right. primary motive is to execute and to say clearly what I'm trying to say. Um, but more so, if there's an audience that I cater to, it's, it's the opinions of other artists. They have a way of disarming you with one look when your work just doesn't cut it. Uh, especially if it's an artist to admire or respect. And so when an artist come up to my work, first of all, they're not even looking at it the way everyone else is looking at it. They come right up an inch away from the canvas uh, or less, sometimes close them down. And they're looking at, wow, how did you do that? How did you apply it? What went first? You're looking at your technique, your application, your approach, your format. And they look at it in a way that, and you could tell immediately if they approve or not based on the reaction of stories. <laughs> and if there's an audience, it's usually that. Um, because um, someone may disagree with my work, but they can't disagree with my execution. And that's something I pride myself on. <laughs> and I don't cut corners when I'm finishing a piece. It's not finished until I'm looking at it. I'm like 100% satisfied. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, to answer the question, it's a yes and no um, kind of thing when it comes to the audience and their participation. So let's talk about your work. Mm -hmm. Some of it's figurative, some of it's abstract. Yeah. What's the inspiration to one day say, oh, I want to draw these figures, and then another day to just let it go and create abstract? Well, I always view my work. Um, as a semi-abstract, even when it was figurative, I've always had this sort of abstract element. Um, either it was the undertone, because I layered a lot. I, I have a strong collage and intuitive sense of sensibility, sort of thing. And there's always a lot of layering. And I used to write messages in the canvases with raised paint prior to painting on top of it. So there's always things that you had to kind of discover when you look at the painting up close. And so there's always been this kind of double-sided, kind of um, encrypted layering and, and mystery in the work. And as I get more, I guess, into the creative process, into the 
um, defining moments in terms of embracing what it is I, that I've come to terms with when it comes to executing and aesthetics, I just grew, I guess, dissatisfied in terms of the range of the work. I, and I felt that it didn't speak a broad enough subject. It didn't speak a broad enough volume. Um, and so, and it also didn't really satisfy my creative thirst. Um, the way that the work that I'm currently doing does, uh, actually the work I've been doing for the past 10 years to now, 2005 to now, um, definitely is when I started making this transition, um, into this kind of semi-abstract figurative based kind of work. Um, I want the, 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 I guess the depth of the work to be translated in another format, opposing to just narrating a direct statement. And I think that was the issue of the, the departure from figurative to this kind of semi-abstract base is that I wanted the work to speak to you in another way, opposing to, um, opposing to just one statement. I wanted multiple statements or I wanted room for multiple statements and multiple interpretations. And because I'm talk, I'm telling a full story and, and it's a beginning, a middle and an end. And in the center of, the, of that story is my own personal experiences and through my lens. And as I got more um, aware and as I grew more um, introspective and as I developed my own horizon and traveled and read and lived more of life and, and now, you know, children and da, 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 da. And so, um, in some ways things just got way too layered and to still try to say all of that in this kind of format or a very figurative format. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. It just, for me, it just didn't work anymore. And I grew very, very dissatisfied with the result, despite my execution. However, um, <laughs> I might say, um, I was stickler about execution, but at the end of the day, I'm looking at this work and it just didn't, it felt a little bit empty for me. And whereas the work I'm doing now, or even the, my past series of pilgrimage, um, I have, the statement with pilgrimage from scattered points is that I've always been interested in events and issues that affects large groups of people at the same time. And that's something that I could identify with because I fall into a large group of people that have been through various experiences from my, you know, leaving Haiti, coming to America, um, learning a new language, learning a new culture. And, and this, this, you know, as first generation Haitian, learning to adapt and all these things. Um, my story translates and reverberates to a lot of people who had that similar experience. And so um, one of my goals or objectives in the work is that it's to create a, a, a language and a vocabulary that, and a story and a narrative that people can start to gain different insights. Hmm. And, and through those insights, um, start to have a different sense of awareness and caring. Um, I think when people 
learn and know about something or someone or another culture or whatever, the more they know, then the more they're likely to respect it and the more they're likely to defend it. Um, and so there's a lot of these kind of like, I guess, didactic meanings in the work that I'm not trying to necessarily overtly say, but they fall into play in a way that it couldn't before when the work was, at least that was my take. It's, I felt like there's so much I wanted to say and I wasn't able to say it if I stayed with that format. Hmm. Interesting. How do you feel the current environment with the virus, with COVID, how do you feel that'll impact your work? And how are you, how are you doing? <laughs> well, uh, um, I'm doing okay. Um, just trying to stay out of the fray, as, you know, as everyone is. Um, you know, I have young children, so homeschooling was a bit of a challenge. Um, it's just so different. Uh, the attention span, the lack of socialization. Um, you wonder if the information is even sinking in or is it just bouncing off their heads and, <laughs> and falling on the television. And so <laughs> learning to cope and, and, and focusing on the things I can't see. And I say that meaning that we have to, well, I have to focus on tomorrow, um, even though I can't see it. Um, because we know what's happening today, but what's happening tomorrow and figuring out how to get there. And by default, painting and studio practice is like the perfect antidote for social distancing because in a lot of ways, you know, most people who paint um, or sculpt or create whatever, whatever, um, requires a certain amount of time and isolation to themselves or within the studio, um, if they have assistance or not, I don't know, but still you need so much time to put everything together, uh, formatting and creating and executing that it's the perfect thing in some ways, because now there is no excuse. I, you know, I might as well go because I'm not doing anything else anyway. Um, I mean, that could get tiresome for some, I guess, but in my case, my schedule is really all over the place, um, as I stated, or didn't state, um, that my children's mom is a nurse at a local hospital here in Brooklyn. And during the peak of the COVID, she was in a COVID unit working a midnight shift from 12, 12 noon to 12 midnight. I think that was the shift, but it varied. Um, and so she would come home and, you know, the kids would want to, um, you know, when she came during the day, they would want to meet and greet at the door. And it was very, very unsettling um, because you don't know, you know, you just. Yeah, you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so um, the real life of it has been a challenge. Um, um, I see it's a double whammy because she and I are not really together and we live in separate residences. And so it's a lot of uh, navigating and negotiating and, and scheduling and, and planning. And, um, and, you know, but it's, it's, it's reassuring to know that uh, everyone is going through something and everyone is trying to figure out a way to cope with what's happening. And so you are not alone in this and you can find solace in that and reach out to folks and say, Hey, how's it going on your end? And so the whole thing in, creating art and dealing with COVID and this time we're in, this political climate, Black Lives Matter movement. And, and so there's just so much going on. And oddly enough, there's always been a lot going on. 
um, maybe now a little more than others in terms of time period, but the, the primary difference now is that I'm the adult in the, in the <laughs> equation, yes. and, you know, and, you know, when I was a kid, it was my parents' worries and their stress and they, you know, figuring it out. And, you know, my father left Haiti without my mother and the rest of my brothers and was living on his own here and trying to establish himself and then eventually sent for my mother and then eventually sent for the rest of us. So it was about a five, seven year period that whole transition thing happened. So I say that to say that there's always something going on. People will have to deal with something. And so the, the focus for me, or the way I'm able to cope is to focus on the things that I can't see and that is the tomorrow's and trying to find a way to make it to tomorrow and, and, and write it out, you know? Yeah. It's been great talking to you. <laughs> Thank you for going deep. <laughs> <laughs> you shared with us, we have, you know, an artist, what life is like and, you know, issues of getting inspired, issues in having your space. I mean, all of these I think are challenges that all artists confront, but differently. So what do you feel, this is our last question, what do you feel is your role as an artist? What do I feel is my role as an artist? Um, well, I think that, you know, every artist kind of uh, take very different approaches in terms of their level of responsibility um, to their art, their environment, their immediate, their people, their whatever. Um, some people really go to bat for it. Some people couldn't kill us. Um, but for me, I think it's important that I do work that really foster a good sense of consciousness and awareness and, and, and trying to create a platform where people can actually have difficult conversations so that they can actually gather real information from about other people. Um, I think it's important. Um, I think that's what's important about the work I'm doing now is that um, and it's a very kind of indirect way of really bringing up some, you know, very dark subjects, especially um, in this country um, has a particular brand of, you know, history that's uncanny to anywhere else. Um, there's overlaps, yeah, but still the politics and and the pathology of race in this country is very different than it is in a lot of other places. Um, and so my responsibility is to kind of get people to just broaden their horizons. And one of the ways that can happen is when people start to think differently and, and, and process different information that's outside of their norm, outside of their immediate, outside of their comfort zone, outside of their own community, um, and and really start to understand from a real perspective what it means to be other and what it means to be a minority or whatever it is. And so um, I didn't set off initially to even tackle that many subjects or that so for um, that approach um, is just as you become more aware, as you become um, more conscious or responsible or more adult or whatever it is, you start to realize that we all have to do our little part to leave the world a better place. And it's 
And it could be something as simple as establishing a platform for meaning, meaningful discourse. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's going to take, again, a critical mass of people um, to actually effectuate real change in any issue. And that critical mass starts with small steps and one conversation at a time and one positive interaction at a time. And, you know, as they say, one vote counts, sort of say. So every positive action that can, can take place can actually um, lead to very positive results. So I hope to use my art as this kind of canon to shoot this kind of message in terms of um, promoting, you know, people's desire to want to learn, desire to want to know about others and, and want to know different perspectives. And because and, you have to want to, to do it in the first place. And, it's, you know, and so getting people energized and excited about things and, and then, especially when it's not obvious at first, I think that's what's kind of interesting about the work. It's not necessarily obvious at first, uh, but then when you look at it closer and you look at it from this side and that side, then you start to realize there's something way more um, heavy or sinister at play. And so I've had that at my last exhibition. This woman was just staring at the painting, one of my mumbo-jumbo paintings, and then she just turns to me and said, wait a minute, what's really going on here, you know? And so that was that aha moment. And that was that moment when I realized, okay, this is exactly the kind of response I want because I want you to be invited to the conversation and then realize, oh, wow, I'm actually having a way more serious conversation than I was prepared to have. But at the same time, you know, it's a good thing because a lot of people just don't have these conversations. And we're realizing right now in the climate we live in that a lot of things have been swept under the rug and a lot of people have been comfortable in denial. And mm-hmm. and as long as it didn't really affect them, it wasn't really a problem. Well, you should feel good as an artist. In fact, great as an artist to know that your work does impact people, that you do get reaction. That's, um, that's why we need art. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you as well. Um, 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 I appreciate the opportunity to voice my opinions and don't often and always get to do that. But, so, but whenever I do, I cherish it. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. You take care. Okay. I hate that. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 